G'day everyone. Welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to turn your passion into a profession. You know, I'm super excited to have my guest today because if you ever thought about a passion that you think, how on earth would I continue to transition that into a profession? My guest has got the answer because guess what? Sasha Sestich not only represented Australia in the men's competition for handball in the Olympic 2000 Games, okay, not only did he manage to do get into the Olympic Games, the Olympic Games people, he took his love for coffee, yeah, coffee, and was able to identify a high quality and ethically sourced coffee that he was able to turn into a business. Now, here's how. 10 years on, Sasha heads a global distribution company, Owner Coffee Wholesale, and a range of cafes, including the Cupping Room, Owner Coffee House, and Owner on the Lawns. Owner, the coffee itself, has been awarded gold medals. He himself is five times ACT Barista Champion. He was the 2015 Australian Barista Champion. In the same year, he was the World Barista Champion. Can you see the passion, people? And he's now created Project Origin, which is an ethical green bean trading company that establishes long-term relationships with 100 growers in developing coffee-producing countries. It doesn't stop there, people. It's, he's got two experiential farms in Honduras and Nicaragua for research and to push boundaries to improve the quality and process of coffee production. He pays a premium price directly to the farmers, and he is Sasha Sestich. Sasha, welcome to Unbox Your Gift. Wow, that's a very lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> it is 100% you. Now, I have to take you back. I know you're from Serbia. I know growing up, you witnessed the tanks, you witnessed the guns, you witnessed war-torn Serbia. And I know you came to Australia in 1997. So... Take me back, you've come in 1997 to Australia. How on earth did you ever get involved with handball and then the Olympic Games in Sydney? Okay. Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for the introduction. So, yeah, well, I actually, before I came to Australia, I, uh, I lived in Croatia. And uh, for... But my parents are, my dad is Orthodox, my mom is Muslim. So we thought, you know, when war started, maybe we should move back to Bosnia. Because you know? Bosnia is, uh, they, you know, there's a lot of mixed marriages. And that's where we originally come from. Mm. Uh, but because we had another war with um, um, Serbians and Muslims, mm. my parents were mixed. So they obviously did not want to fight and be involved in the war. So we, we moved to Serbia. And then we had another war that all happened during the six years of our period. So the third war where we had a war again with the Americans, you know, we were getting bombed by the air and everything. Um, so my parents finally said that we need to leave this entire chaos and we, we need to go somewhere. Um, our first choice was Sweden, not Australia. Uh, my brother was a professional handball player. Um, I was a junior handball player back then, so no, not, not professional level. I was only 16, 17 years old. And uh, the reason we came to Australia is uh, Australia was uh, preparing for Olympic Games. And uh, so we managed to you know, meet Australian Olympic uh, Committee handball and uh, have a discussions with them. So they've, they've told us that we can, you know, get a citizenship before Olympic Games. We can have opportunity to play Sydney 2000. 
which of course is a dream of any sportsman. So we actually decided to drop Sweden option and, and come to Australia to have the hope to represent uh, Australian Olympic Games in Sydney. Wow. wow. So, so you get to go and represent Australia in the Olympic Games. What was that like? Uh, that was unbelievable. I guess it's, it's, it's a dream of any sportsman to be part of the Olympic Games. Yeah, I was uh, I was 21 years old, so I was youngest. Uh, I was the youngest handball player at the Olympic Games, and, and um, getting into the Olympics was was great because on the national on the tour that we had a tour in Europe, I was announced as a best uh, handball player in Australia. Um, so I was going into Olympic Games very confident that I'm going to be in the starting line, and I can you know. I can prove myself again and hopefully be able to get my professional contract uh, and so I can go to Europe finally and play professionally. But things did not turn out that way for me. (laughs) Uh, I didn't get a starting line in the first match. I don't know why. And because I was very young, very emotional, very eager and, uh, and frustrated because I didn't play very first match. Uh, So the rest of the Olympic Games had, not necessarily played in a level that I should, uh, due to my, I guess, young, immature brain <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was a mixed emotion. So obviously, to be at the Olympic Games, it's unbelievable. Uh, and uh, and I had a couple of good matches, but I not necessarily I got what I wanted to get out of it on the court. Well, I mean, that, that may be absolutely true, but I think that just the fact that you've made it to the Olympics, I mean, you can't be average and go to the Olympic Games. You've got to be pretty exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, I know. But did you, so when you came out to Australia to get to the Olympics, was there a lot of training involved or were you already at that level, at that standard of Olympian? Well, yeah, I mean, traditionally Serbia or ex-Yugoslavia has a very good handball school. We were world champions, you know, Croatians or Serbians for many years. Uh, So I did come from the school of uh, one of the best clubs in Europe. uh, So training twice a day. So obviously I was was really, really young. When I joined the team, I was only 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, being there with, with professionals at 26, 27, even though my athleticism was at a very high level and my jump was high level and all of the sporting ability, they, they're very high level. My brain was not mature mm-hmm. enough to, to play the high level and was very emotional. Yeah. Uh, so controlling my, uh, my nerves was, uh, was a challenge. Uh, but luckily for me, I played with my brother. Um, you know, he's four years older. And he was the one guiding me through the entire process and through, you know, Olympic Games and then post-Olympics as well. So he made that experience a lot more enjoyable for me. Great. So, so you go to the Olympic Games, you're in Sydney, you don't play to the level that you know you can. So then what happens after the Olympic Games finishes? What's the next step? What are you doing next? So after that, I was desperately chasing to get a contract in Europe. Uh, which I in handball? Yeah, yeah, in handball, yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, but in the same time, I've applied to study hospitality. So I finished my hospitality in a TAFE in CIT Reed campus, advanced diploma. Uh, I started working in a, in a random restaurants, civil service functions, because um, I I always had this passion for hospitality. I don't know why, but you know, I, I, my plan was when one day when I finished my handball career, 
I'll open up a pizza bar or a coffee shop or something like that. Um, so it was always in my mind. But um, 2003 is when I actually retired from handball. I played the World Championships. Uh, so we went to Portugal with Australia. We made a history win. I had a, one of the best matches ever. So it was a really nice way to finish my handball career on a high level. And, um, and 2003 is when I discovered that I love coffee. Mm, wow. <laughs> was that because you had to drink it to keep awake for training or something? Not at all. I actually did not enjoy drinking coffee and I did not enjoy the taste of the coffee, to tell you honestly, but I loved making coffee. I loved the art of, you know, preparing espresso, you know, texturing milk, making cappuccinos, talking to customers. Um, I loved preparing the product to someone that I can see how much they enjoy it. Being being in a kitchen as a chef, you, you can create amazing food, but you cannot really see how people interact with it mm. uh, but being able to you know as a barista to make coffee and then provide that coffee to someone and actually look how much they enjoy it uh for me it was very rewarding wow so you just you just had this love or passion for coffee just because it just, just yeah it's sweet it didn't start with a taste to tell you honestly i was making coffees for six months my first job was italian continental bakery in Mawson. Uh, and I was making coffees for six months without tasting coffee and without, you know, really appreciating the coffee for the taste. I loved everything around the coffee, the conversations, the hustle and bustle and making coffees and, and getting to know my regulars, getting to know their names, how, how they like their coffees, having a chit chats. I really loved that, but I didn't love taste. <laughs> and, uh, That's incredible. And, yeah. And eventually, you know, I think when I really fell in a coffee is when I went to Sydney. I went to taste some of the beautiful coffees in, in very popular coffee shops. And for the first time ever, I've tasted coffee that tastes, that reminds me of tasting fruit, like blueberries, or strawberries, etc. And I said, wow, you know, this is, this is unbelievable. Mm. And that moment is when I realized that I want to take coffee to another level. I want to start roasting my own coffee and, and, Etc. So. so, so you basically after the Olympic Games you retire and then you go into working for a bakery in, in local Canberra suburbs, and then at that time six months and you know you haven't even you don't like the taste of coffee but you like the hustle and bustle you like making it you're studying at a community college CIT yes. to study hospitality and then you go to Sydney you taste the different variations of coffee that give you the taste of fruit like your blueberries and you think wow this can be taken somewhere different I can really push the boundaries with coffee. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah that's correct. <laughs> okay. So now, now that you're thinking that, but you're, but you're not just like a passionate coffee. I think you don't have a passion. I think you have an obsession. And yeah. I think it's a beautiful obsession because you just, you, you've taken coffee to a place where I just did not know it could go to. And so you, you, you come back, you've tasted coffee, and then that, what, what's happening now in your mind? So, Well, that moment I, I just wanted to keep chasing that perfect cup. Uh, and I still do. And in order to chase that, and you know what, perfection does not exist. We all know it. But having that attitude that we want to keep chasing it, uh, it drives me to do very obsessed things in the coffee these days. From the moment to buying the coffee roaster and installing it in, in the house, in the garage, illegally, of course. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, 10 years ago, that was starting the summer coffee. 
uh, and having a fire brigade coming to my place that you know fire and, uh, my house is you know burning but no it's not burning i'm just roasting coming out of the garage uh, to the moment that you know once i was happy with my roasting and everything to say well you know what i need to now buy coffee direct i need to go to the farm so mm. catching the very first flight to brazil without knowing anyone Rocking up at the airport to the Brazilian so here I am. Now I need to buy coffees from people. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, spending a month in Brazil without... No, now it's easier. We have internet, so we, we have Facebook. So it's a lot easier to get in touch with the people. But back then, wasn't. So you were just sourcing uh, coffee back then? You're just trying to find... So, yeah, back then I was trying to source coffee direct. Mm. Uh, to the point that, you know, next two months that was 2010 2011 that i started spending four or five months overseas on farms uh, you know living the life of the producers working with them learning from them experimenting coffee processing with them um, going to different coffee universities spending a lot of time in brazil for example in the coffee university or in india in coffee research center or in el Salvador in coffee institution places so trying to learn uh, trying to understand coffee as a plant rather than coffee as a drink. You look at a coffee as a drink, right? Yeah. But in order to understand coffee fully, we need to understand what a plant is and, you know, how does that plant behave? Uh, and that draw me to, you know, lease a couple of the farms so I can do experiments with the neighbors on, on like coffee producers' farms where I tell them, hey, I'm going to pay you a ridiculous amount of money. I want to do experiments here. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. I'm going to waste money. If it works, you're still going to get paid. And, you know, I just get the knowledge. Mm. Uh, to the point that, you know, 2013, I decided to buy a coffee farm so I can do more research and mm. development. Mm. Uh, so I can really start understanding the coffee in a, in a greater level. So um, it's been it's been obsession. Like, it, it's kind of... <laughs> It's a bit hard to focus. Like for a lot of people, coffee is very simple beverage. Mm. Uh, but coffee is the most complex beverage that we have. It has 900 different, uh, you know, flavors that we find. Like, for example, when we taste wine, uh, we can taste about three to 350 different compounds. Um, and according to many people, maybe wine is most complex. But um, there's so many flavors in the coffee that. We still haven't unlocked. We still have not discovered, uh, and and that's I guess what I'm trying to do to discover mm -hmm. the flavors of the coffee that we have not tasted before. What what keeps that driving you? What what? I think being, uh, maybe being a sportsman. Okay. You know, oh. we are very we very disciplined. We train hard, and um, we yeah we. I guess we're very competitive. <laughs> it's in a NHL sport to win. Like you, you either win or you lose. So <laughs> winning, winning in, a, in a coffee for me, it's what's next. You know, how do we make what we do today better in six months? Uh, but I, I guess it does keep me grounded working with the producing countries, working with the people that come from a third world country that, you know, mm -hmm maybe need to walk two, three, four hours a day to, to get a fresh water, for example. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it kind of gives me that reasoning that, that sort of now good coffee is not only tasty coffee, 
good coffee is when we can do something good for everyone. Oh, I uh, purchase coffee. So, um, so it's, you know, that mission of chasing perfect coffee, it's not now only in a taste. It's now in making, um, making more sustainable coffee. So let me ask you a question, Sasha. Do you have kids? Oh, I think I, I lost, lost you. A second. Yeah, sorry, I asked you, did you, do you have kids? Yes, uh, two kids. Anna is 15. Alex is 11. Beautiful. And, yeah, married, my wife. Beautiful. I've been married for 25 years. Oh, congrats, congratulations. That's another achievement. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. With your two kids who are 15, 11 and 15, when you talk about this level of drive and discipline and focus and going after the chase, the win, do, do, would you tell your children that you need to get into a sport in order to understand what that discipline and focus is? Or how would you teach them that? Like how would, is someone listening right now, how do we get funnel that drive that you have? Like how do you package that or teach that to your own children? Yeah, well, my, my kids, both of my kids are very different. Anna is very, she's into everything. So anything she does, she's very competitive, like her dad, right? Uh, so she she does dancing and uh, obviously she's, she doesn't like sport as much such as you know soccer or, or whatever different sports but she's really into dancing mm -hmm. uh, we, we like to give her freedom to do as much dancing as she wants drives her to sort of get somewhere I think she's going to China to compete in, in international dancing competition. Wow. Um, but for Alex, it's been different because Alex, we would put him uh, to play basketball a couple of years ago and, and he's done it only for a few months and end of the season, he gets a certificate that, you know, okay, now he has a certificate that he participated for 12 months in basketball. And I said, oh, great. So do you want to play basketball again next year, Alex? He goes, no, no, daddy, I don't need to. I got a certificate. <laughs> I'm done with basketball. I'm going to play something else next year. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so how do you teach that? How, do you teach that discipline focus? Like, is there a way in which you would give advice for someone to how to be so focused? I think do the same what my parents have done with me. Try to help them to find something they love. Mm. Um, when, they, when they find something they love, they will love the friendship and the people around them, mm. help them to be, you know, to reach their goals, whatever their goals are. Um, with Alex, because I'm a sportsman, and you know, when he was playing basketball or handball, like, uh, for me, watching him and, and, you know, talking to kids and the friends during the match, for me, it was, was you know, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> you know, he should be playing. <laughs> I was getting very upset. Yeah. And then my wife told me, just, you know, relax. Eventually he'll find something he likes. And then you know, now he loves drums. Okay. So, oh, okay. So it's the passion's changing. Everything is changing. You know, passion changed. Hopefully, you know, I'm going to tell drum teacher that Alex should not be getting any certificates. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get him in a band. <laughs> get him in a band and keep going. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, want, we want our kids to be happy and to, to, to have an yeah, awesome childhood. To, to, but uh, it's, interesting. it's interesting that your parents allowed you to pursue coffee, uh, Sasha, because I know coming from a, an immigrant background myself that, and many of my friends, that you need to be like academic and that you need to, because back in, 
Afghanistan, Serbia, you know, Bosnia, the ticket to freedom was education. If you had your education, that was your ticket, right? But, but it's interesting that your parents allowed you to pursue coffee because that's pretty shaky, especially at the time that you started, because there is no clear path that you're going to get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, when I started with a coffee, barista was only a university job, right? When you work yeah. in the uni, you, you work yeah. part-time as a barista, and that's, that's that. So, but my parents had always been encouraging. So even when I wanted to pursue career in a handball, they were so happy for us to, and for me and my brother to, they've given us everything they possibly could mm -hmm. for us to chase our dreams. But mm. when I decided to stop playing handball and, and get into the coffee, they were just as happy to support us with, with this career as well. So, that's, that's, that's a huge blessing. That's a huge blessing. So you become 2015 world, okay, where is it? world barista champion. Why do you go into competition? Is that to just your knowledge? What, what's the purpose behind the competitions for you? Just yeah. So, yeah, I've been competing in a barista competitions for eight, seven years before I won. And initially it was to, to learn as much as I possibly could from other experts in the industry uh, to gain more knowledge, to gain more expert, to understand how little I know as well, to keep me humble and grounded. Uh, and in the same time to understand when I failed, why I failed, and then dedicate following 12 months to sort of try to improve that. Mm. But last couple of years in the competition when i gained more experience and more knowledge i've competed for the reason that i wanted to share something with the industry and i wanted to share some of my ideas that i believe can help coffee industry to be better in the future mm. so, uh, this is what i've done in 2015 i've um, shared some of the innovational things, uh, new processing methods, which we call carbonic maceration or CM, which is today commonly used. So that was something I invented. Uh, we also shared uh, another tool that uh, we call now distributing tool before that did not exist in the industry, but now when we make coffee, coffee gets distributed, then it gets stamped. Uh, so this is now common practice in, for the entire world. So um, wow. Yeah, very happy that with that sort of win, we, we did not only win competition, but we managed to make industry one small step better. Yeah, so you've dented the industry with your invention. How do you actually get the attention of the industry? Is that through the competition so that you can showcase your inventions? Yeah, well, World Barista Championships, it's, it's like um, FIFA or World Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it, it does, if... You know, someone is capable to do well in that competition, uh, that person becomes ambassador of specialty coffee for 12 months. Um, and, then, and then you have opportunity to travel throughout the world to sort of teach, uh, but in the same time to learn from different cultures, different people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and really, it opens up many doors. Mm. And, uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really very unique platform there's you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people mm. competing a lot of them a lot of competitors would actually quit their jobs uh, or they would be supported by the big companies just to compete wow. uh, um, yeah it's um it's a challenge <laughs> it's a challenge to win but once hopefully people that win that competition they um, they can they have a very strong voice for the industry that's, that's exceptional because I know what it feels like to be in competition. I've been in speaking competitions 
and I know for me, being in speaking competitions, I've had to speak and tweak my speech over and over and over and over. Like you've got to just work this speech until you're sick of it. What's the training ground to compete for the world barista champion? Like what's, what kind of training is involved? Well, it's part of that is speaking, as you said. You, you, have, a, you have a presentation, which is about 12 to 1500 words okay. Uh, okay. in 15 minutes. But more importantly, and most importantly, uh, we we making coffees. So we make four espressos, four meal-based coffees, and four signature drinks. And while we're doing that, we 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 talking about these coffees. And we we actually, for me, I went to the farm in Colombia to improve coffee, so to invent the new processing with the producer. Then once we made this delicious coffee on the farm level, we took this coffee to Canberra. Then I was working with my roaster to find the best possible roast profile. Uh, that took a couple of months. And then after that, we finally worked with different recipes, how to brew the best possible coffee. And then my coach was from Japan. So he was coaching me on a presentation and helping me to sort of be better with public speaking. I'm generally very shy, uh, or maybe I used to be. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So he helped me a lot with my presentation, with uh, you know, with emphasizing, with talking, with discussing, and, and yeah. making sure my message and my values and my visions come across to judges very clear. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. okay. So it's the coffee process. I didn't, I didn't know it was speaking as well. Wow, that's 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 interesting. Uh, well, well, what I find interesting is while you're doing all of this, so if someone is qu- quitting their job to be able to compete in the World Barista Championships or in any aspect of that. How do you support yourself? Because, I, and the reason why I'm asking this question, Sasha, is someone's listening right now going, I have a passion for shells. I have a pa- whatever it might be, okay? I'm just going to say thing out loud. But then how do you monetize, how do you support yourself so that you're not kind of, you know, lagging behind financially? Yeah, well, uh, I think the, the idea is to work within a company or organization that is already part of these barista competitions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, like a lo- lot of companies do, do support these competitions. For example, now in Ona Coffee, we have a room that we call WBC room and it's only for trainings. So anyone that wants to compete, they have a room with a coffee machine with a full setup. So baristas that are, for example, working with us or using a coffee, etc. Uh, they can go to this room and then they can keep practicing and then keep learning and keep studying. Okay. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I was self-taught. You know, I I started with a with a pure passion. I didn't I didn't have these facilities when I was competing. So mm-hmm. I bought a you know eight hundred dollar coffee machine. I put it in my garage and I started practicing like that. Wow. So, um, I I think there's if someone really wants to do it, there's always way and they will find a way how to sort of chase the dreams mm-hmm. and so how did owner itself come to did that did owner coffee happen after 2015 when you won the world barista championship or did your no. brand of coffee owner come before no no owner coffee was established when i started roasting in a garage 10 years oh. ago right? we are 10 years old company now oh. uh, and with a pure idea to make better coffees and in order to make better coffees, I thought that I need to do my own roasting. So I came up with this brand. I mean, initially it was not called Ona, it was called Kona, K-O-N-A, coffee. Uh, Kona coffee is a farm or sort of in Big Island in Hawaii. Uh, they have Big Island, western part of Hawaii. 
they, um, coffee is grown there and it's called Connor region. Mm. I came up with a name just randomly, Connor. Um, I had very small budget, so I paid my designer $1,000 to do a logo, to do design, to do everything. But then a couple of months later, I realized that, you know, I should not be calling myself Connor because it's someone else's name. It's not my name. Uh, so um, I've decided to take K out because I could not pay another designer for another new logo. So I just said to the designer, just make this K disappear. And this, <laughs> that's wonderful. And this is, this is going to be honor. So that's my, this is why honor is called honor today. Oh, my goodness. I could not come up with another new name, so I, I needed to chop one name off. And mm. one was, you know, perfect choice. Oh, I love it. I mean, <laughs> that's such a good reminder of the hustle and, you know, just being resourceful. I think that's brilliant. That is so brilliant. Yeah. I mean, every time I drink coffee, I own a coffee, I'm going to remember that. It's just like... Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I usually don't say that too much in the public but yeah i think it's it's fun, it's fun oh story. i think it's a brilliant story and it's so That's, how the distribution of owner coffee is that worldwide now is that only australia wide oh uh, yeah now we have a we have another new shop in canberra it's called high road in dixon which we opened up several months ago Ooh, congratulations so and we, we started in sydney only three weeks ago on a Merrickville. Uh, and uh, we just signed a contract with Dubai, so we're going to be opening Honor in Dubai as well, uh, early January, February this year. And, uh, and our plans are to be in Singapore uh, end of 2000 and next year, 2019. Wow. And we, these days now we're distributing coffee throughout Australia, uh, Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne. We have customers in Adelaide, in, in Western Australia, in Tasmania as well, mm-hmm. and we're also distributing our coffees in a smaller scale worldwide, um, majority Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, Project Origin, you mentioned that. Uh, Project Origin is a green bean company. They we work with uh, 100 producers, 10 different countries. We source our all coffee ethically, directly. We're paying uh, high premiums, you know, 30 to 100% above fair trade and rainforest alliance, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Uh, like we, 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 we've done some of the really cool, interesting things in Project Origin where we build the childcare centers uh, for people. Now we're building a bridge in Ethiopia. We, only a month ago, we've sponsored 20,000 USD coffee machines and the equipment in the coffee school in Nicaragua. Um, And the idea with the Project Origins that we, of course, sell green beans to Honor Coffee, which is a sister company, of course, but we also sell green beans to other coffee roasters. So, uh, so we set up distribution center in in China, in in Korea, in Malaysia, I don't know else. that's an incredible business model. So you're not you cre- you grow the green beans under the name of Project Origin. You grow them, you sell them to Owner, which is the sister company, like you mentioned. And then the Owner Coffee is obviously sold, distributed to other coffee shops, other coffee houses around the world, and you own you own other coffee cafes as well that actually use Owner Coffee. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so from ten years ago, having maybe four employees. Now we have about 160 employees in, in on our family and on our farms overseas, we have about another 150 employees. So we, we employ about 300 people globally. Do you, and, so you, uh, yeah. 
and yeah, and we also have quite a few distributors that are distributing our products and such, which are you know members of our family. How do you? Can this is my question to every expert that I've interviewed? How do you manage between pursuing the passion of coffee and finding the best blend of coffee in the plant versus managing own a company? How do you balance that? It's very hard to balance. So um, I, I did quote myself quite a few times that. Uh, for a very good period of my time, I actually manage and I, I work on a structure, which is something I don't like. Mm. I started this business because I love cup of coffee mm. and I love, I love making coffees and I love developing. And as I said, keep chasing that perfect cup, not doing a spreadsheets and bookkeeping and interviews, etc. Uh, but so every time when I see that I'm spending a lot more time managing rather than working on a coffee, I start employing different people that can, you know, help me with that side of the business. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 um, that's significant. I love that. I've never heard of that business model. I think it's brilliant. I think it's top notch. Yeah, the fact that yeah, the fact that you grow the your beans, sell that to the other company, and then distribute from there. I think that's phenomenal. And because you can actually control the fair trade and being pre, the farmers being paid a proper wage for their work because now there's a documentary guys there's a documentary that's been made about you Sasha it's called the coffee man and you've also got a book out called the coffee man I know there's a new book coming out as well but let me go back to the documentary how did that start <laughs> so that's really funny actually there's so many funny stories with me and Hitona coffee <laughs> uh, so uh, about 2014 I had a uh, two filmmakers Jeff and Roland uh, they, they approached me, they wanted to make a documentary about what I do at the origin and the coffee farms. And um, before World Championships, I was, I was kind of more very close person and not very kind of like the public figure orientated person as well. And I said to them that, yeah, you can follow me, but I don't, wanna, I don't want you to record me. I'd love you to record what about the farmers. You know, we, we need to share some of their stories. They have it tough, etc. cetera. Uh, so we've agreed that they're going to follow me to a few different origins and um, they will record the stories of the farmers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we can sort of connect these stories with the consumers, etc. cetera. Uh, so, but after a couple of origin trips, I told them that, hey, you know, we're not going to be doing any recording for the next six months or I'm not going to be traveling because I have a competition barista competition. I said, what do you mean you have barista competition? What's that? <laughs> Does that exist? <laughs> I said, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> and I said, I can be following in your, in your competition. I said, well, you can if you want. So they followed me in regional. I won regional. They followed me in Australian with the cameras. I won Australian. And they said, ah, we want to go with you in Seattle. We want to follow you in Seattle as well when you compete in a world competition. I said, yeah, okay. So they followed me in Seattle and I won. <laughs> I said, you know, they're going to make a movie about you. <laughs> oh. <I> said, okay. <laughs> so the entire movie changed from um, talking about the farmers. They said they've made a movie about me, which I'm kind of connection from the farm level to the making the best coffee in the world. <laughs> wow. uh, which was interesting. But more interestingly, I'll, I'll tell you a small story. This only happened last seven days um, I've decided to coach competitor from Poland 
Uh, in the same time, we announced that we're going to make another movie, The Coffee Man 2 or The Coffee Man Chronicles, right. which we kind of did not really know exactly what movie is going to be about, but we're just going to start it and we'll see how it finishes. Uh, now, in the World Barista Championships, every time for the last 14 years, we're male barista champions, no female ever won. And I wanted to give back to the community, so I've selected a girl from Poland. She competed when I competed. She finished 36th. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also competed last year. She finished 34th. So she was not very famous, but not very successful competitor. So we, I, I gave her a call and I said, hey, we want to coach you. We want to we support you. You come from Poland, from a small community, not, not very known. You don't have a budget. We want to help you. And she fell off the chair, you know. Got mm-hmm. Sasha Sestik, World Barista Champion, is calling me. Oh, my God. Wow. So, uh, so we decided to coach her for the competition. She used my innovation process from Ethiopia this time. Coffee roasted by Ona Coffee, of course. Coached by myself. And last, year, last week, she won World Barista Championships. <gasps> You're kidding me! <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> and... Jeff, movie maker, was there as well. He goes, ah, oh, I think I know what we're going to yeah. make next movie about. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you're, coaching, uh, you're coaching Aga and, you know, she's wow. winning the World Race of Championships. Well, congratulations. That's a home yeah. run. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was unbelievable. So, um, yeah, we're going to make another movie. So. <laughs> well, what's her name? Uh, Agnieszka. Agnieszka, okay, I've got to keep, because I've been following you and I, I didn't know who won. I knew that the competitions were on, but I just didn't know who won. So it's the first female that you've coached. That's, has, yeah, that's one. Female ever that we coached, and she won. She's beaten everyone like about 50, 60 points. Like, it was just like, oh, huge. my goodness. That's, yeah. that's huge. That's, yeah. oh, well, congratulations to you, coach, because <laughs> you're a proud coach right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a coach as well, looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this question. I know that you, you've got this, inc- you've got this other invention called designed and well, it's, a, it's a coffee distributor, owner coffee distributor. Uh, OCD, yes. <laughs> How do these ideas come to you? Like, are you sitting down? Do you have time for like invention ideas? Because you not only create the coffee, you've created the little tool that goes with it. I mean, this takes time and experiments and back and yeah. forth and, how are you doing all of this? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a very simple philosophy. Like, as I said to you at the beginning, uh, I feel that not only my job, everyone in Ona Coffee, we have a lot of, lot of talented people. Uh, we built amazing company, amazing culture, amazing team, a uh, team of very obsessed people with the coffee. And, um, and all we want to do is we want to make coffee better for everyone. Mm. Um, and in order to make coffee better, we, we need to come up with different solutions, whether we, we brew better coffee or we roast better coffee or we grow better coffee at a farm level, or maybe we have a new tools that can make, help us to make better coffee. Mm. Obviously, I usually, with the inventions, when I like to invent something, I don't invent it for the sake, ah, oh, I need to come up with a new thing. I invent it with the reason that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize why do we have a problem? I dig deep to actually show myself maybe we're consistently having a problem with this part of the industry. And then we start looking things out of the box to see how we can um, 
sort of bring something new in our industry to make make it better. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing has happened with the distributing tool. Obviously, yeah. I thought the way we make coffees, it's very inconsistent. We cannot repeat it. We, you know, we need to actually distribute coffee rather than just stamp due to so many different experiments we've done. And then, yeah, over a couple of years, we, we came up with the OCD. So first time that idea came up with was 2012, 13. And uh, we launched the OCD in the public late 2015. So it took three years. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible. And I, I know for a fact that, well, before I even ask that question, how do you take your coffee, Sasha? Um, uh, okay, in the morning, filter, and uh, so yeah, just yeah, filter coffee uh, during the day. I, I love espressos, but I don't mind tasting milk based coffees when they okay. taste okay, <laughs> the diluted form. Okay, if someone wants to know more about you, learn more about Honor Coffee, or I know that the proceeds of your book, The Coffee Man, they go towards something. Yep, absolutely. So uh, all of the proceeds go towards to the uh, supporting coffee farmers and coffee communities. Mm -hmm. So book is 100% non-profit. Mm -hmm. And um, the, what we've decided to do with the proceeds for the coffee farms is we dedicate $40,000 per country. So we've just finished the project in Nicaragua. We've dedicated $20,000 to the coffee school where we improve the uh, coffee machines and equipment, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and the half of the money we dedicate to a particular producer that we can help to help them to give some resources and funding so they can produce better coffees. Uh, in Ethiopia, we're now building the bridge. Uh, so the cost is 60,000 USD. Wow. And uh, we've uh, started building a bridge now. Uh, so we put our first deposit towards that project. And the reason we're building the bridge is um, we kind of want to connect two small villages because mm -hmm. when people go from village, from play one side of the mountain to the other side to deliver coffee to the washing mill, they have to walk every day three hours mm -hmm. one way and then walk three hours another way to deliver coffee. Mm -hmm. And they do that you know, four or five months a year while, uh, while coffee is sort of uh, picked. So by building this bridge, people can sort of walk, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Instead wow, of that's incredible. And so the Coffee Man, the book, which is 100% non-profit, all proceeds go to these projects that you do. Where can people find out more about the Coffee Man? So the, they can find out more on my website, sashasestic.com.au, um, on my Instagram, I keep... Yeah, I'm yeah. very um, yeah. acting on Instagram as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on the on my website now we have the coffee men sort of um, small section. Mm -hmm. Find out how much money we raised, uh, what we're we doing with the money, where that's going, yeah. what's the next project, etc. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, what's your ultimate vision, vision Sasha? I mean, um, you know, there's a quote by Rumi that says that life is a balance between holding on and letting go. And my question to you is the ultimate vision. Where do you see, what do you need to let go of anything in the future? Are you holding on to coffee? Like where's the end goal for where you right now as of this recording? <laughs> you know what? I, I mean, I, I don't think there's an end goal. Mm -hmm. You know, and there, there's all, we can always do better and we can always do, do more. Uh, my, my vision is to 
to try to make positive change to, mm. to the industry, to people, uh, to enjoy these changes that we make, to celebrate the moments that we, when we make something rewarding. Uh, but in the same time, when we have that energy to keep going and keep pursuing the excellence in what we do. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Like that, I don't think I'll, I'll ever stop. Mm. I can leave something behind me and it would be legacy, leave coffee in a better place than what I found and that will make me happy. I love that. And I love and in your documentary, you say there's a relationship that's a very re important relationship between the farmer and the consumer. I mean, and t can you tell me more about what, what you mean by that? Well, um, I, I think the communication between what coffee is, uh, it's, it's broken. Uh, it actually never existed. In, in my opinion, people look at a coffee as a coffee fix. Mm. They look at a cup of coffee and may, maybe a lot, lot, of, lot of customers would judge coffee by the barista or by the coffee shop mm. or by the particular coffee roaster. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, I would love to see consumers to, to connect with the farmers, um, just like they do connect in the wine industry. You know, you look at a bottle of wine and you know where the wine comes from, why, you know, what vintage, etc. Um, I think farmers are the ones that are putting more effort than anyone else. You know, for farmer to grow coffee, it takes them three to four years to have a first picking. Mm. Barista to make coffee, it takes him 20 seconds, right? Or her, <laughs> 20 mm -hmm. seconds. Mm. Um, I don't think farmers are getting enough rewards for, for their work. So, um, and I, I guess that's, that's my, my duty and my, my job is to sort of connect. Um, you guys, consumers, mm, mm. with the farmers. So when you drink that cup of coffee, you're not thinking of the famous barista or, or, or the roaster. You're actually connecting that cup of coffee with the, with the farmer that you know grew that coffee in, in Colombia or in Honduras. We, we could be a small farm, and and you can really enjoy that coffee and connect um, sort of that drinking experience with uh, what farmer tried to achieve with that particular coffee. Oh, I love, I love your passion, Sasha. It's, it's just so incredibly beautiful. It's so incredibly deep how you go to the lengths to make that happen. And I, I got to say that I'm looking at coffee completely differently to what I was. And knowing now that Ona is 100% fair trade, ethically sourced, uh, is there any particular reason? I mean, I mean, I've seen Ona, but they don't have that label that it's fair trade or any particular reason why? Like the... the no. Uh, the, the label we have is a, is a project origin. Okay. Label, um, I, I can talk about this for, for a long time. For example, fair, fair trade is a great system, but fair trade is the system that uh, guarantees the fair trade, but it does not guarantee the quality of the coffee. Uh, project origin guarantees the, the quality of the coffee as well as a fair trade, as well as, as all of the sustainable things that we are doing within the company. Uh, so um, by having a different labels in a project origin, we have a three labels. One label we call the black label, uh, which tells you the particular score of the coffee, uh, 83 to 85 points, for example. And then we have a green label, which is 86 to 89 points. And then we have a gold label coffee, which is 90 plus. Mm -hmm. And each one of these labels, we are paying a different value to our producers for these coffees. For example, gold label, we would pay approximately 500 times to 800 times higher price than what fair trade pays. Uh, we're paying for some of these coffees, you know, $100 a pound. 
Uh, And fair trade minimum price is $2 a pound. So, um, so we we believe that we would be be better off um, explaining people what we do as a company and then making that clearer, uh, because it it goes lots more deeper than um, just a fair trade or rainforest alliance certifications. Wow, that's that's incredible! And are you looking at marketing all of that so that we as the consumer can become educated and know? We are. You know <laughs> we are. Because I, mean? like, I didn't know until right now. Yeah, the the thing with me is. Uh, I kind of do all of the things for the right reason, but I'm not. The last thing we, we put is, is marketing. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a right, right way to do it because we do it, we, we believe in it. We, we think it's more, more ethical, it works. And then, uh, and then once, once everything is sort of structured, once we have a budget for marketing, then we, we get into the marketing. <laughs> I think I do it completely opposite as, as many other companies because <laughs> a lot of companies market what they, do a little bit of, but yeah. we do we do a lot of this stuff and we market little. But uh, I, I prefer it to do this way. So yeah, yeah. Grow, uh, there will be more and more presence in there, and as we have bigger budget for marketing, mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll start sort of putting that more in action. So. Well, Sasha, I got to say, mate, this has been an incredible interview. It's been an incredible passion that you shared with us, and thank you so much for showing us how you took a passion of coffee and has shown us the beauty of it and made that into a profession. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you and all the best with the upcoming documentary and the upcoming book. I'm sure I can't wait to take a look at that. I'm sure the next stage of how you coach someone to become the world champion. I mean, that's, yeah, that's exceptional. Thank you. Now, guys, thank you so much for listening. As you just heard Sasha say, he's helping communities around the world or developing countries with the coffee producers. And The Coffee Man is a book that's 100% not for profit. If you found value in this interview and yet you know that someone else would also be having value to listen to something like this, then please make sure you share it because this is how we spread the word of our experts so that they can continue with that passion and continue to serve us with the work that they do in the world. So please make sure you share it, make sure you subscribe. And if you already have subscribed and shared, then please make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the works, so that you can be in the know of how you can take your own passion and convert that into a profession. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the very next episode.